0: There are no more greetings. Let's all bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word, which is a living word and an abiding word that lives and abides forever, your word tells us. Thank thee, Lord, for the messages we've heard yesterday. We pray, Lord, a few more crumbs from your table today. We pray for those that could not be here. Some may be traveling. Some may be ill. Some may be in a difficult situation. We pray that you would bear their burden. You would give them grace and strength and your protection and your provision. Be with us now as we would look into your word. Speak to our hearts. Give unction unto your servant, both servants that are be ministering in word or in prayer, and those that would be ministering from the floor. We ask all of these things and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In the past couple of weeks, we've had uh, probably three sermons on the birth of Christ, or at least portions of it to do with it. Um, I'd like to turn to with the Lord's help to the book of Philippians chapter two. This is also to do with Christ, but uh, perhaps not so much the historicity of his coming, but the nature of Christ and his coming and who he is, namely the son of God but also God himself. So the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2. Chapter 2. The first chapter ends with an exhortation um, on how to deal with difficulties and challenges from without. Persecutions, knowing that they are being persecuted for their faith. But the next chapter begins to focus now within, within the church itself. Difficulties and challenges within the church and what kind of an example we have in uh, dealing with some of these challenges. Chapter 2 of Philippians. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and not as in my absence only, but now much more in my absence, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither laboured in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labour, and fellow soldier, but your messenger." And that he ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
1: Bow down and worship the Lord together. It is so good to come into your presence together, Lord, to rejoice and to be mindful and to contemplate the wonder in our hearts, even as Mary did, that our God would leave holy heaven and come and humble himself. And Lord, thank you for your words this morning that have showed us the example and how it practically needs to be worked out in our own lives, that we can do all things without murmurings, without arguing, that we can be loving and kind and humble in how we approach and honor one another, that we can be lights in a crooked and perverse generation, Lord. And Father, we're so thankful for the promise that the very God who humbled himself and became flesh is also now humbled himself and is living in us, working in us both to to do and to will to fix our wanters to want to do the right thing Father we are so thankful for that assurance and that promise that we completely depend upon thank you for your living word that speaks to each one of our needs in such a timeless way. Lord, you know the needs that are present and even the needs that are absent, those that would have liked to have been here and and were unable to due to illness or circumstance, those who are running from here, those who might be here and are still far away in their own minds. Father, reach them as only you can. Draw them back to you. Help them to realize that the things they are focused on will not bring satisfaction. That you alone have the life-giving hope. That you alone have light that can dispel the darkness in their own minds and the isolation. Father, Draw them through your power, we pray. Father, may your word shine, not only in what is said, but especially in what is lived, not only in this building, but in each and every corner in which we are. We pray for your name to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: At this time of the year, we have heard many glorious hymns, Christmas songs, and carols. We've just had the Messiah program in Kitchener and Richmond Hill. And they're glorious songs, very majestic. There are other songs that we sing. Christmas songs that are very quiet, very um, subdued, perhaps, that really touch our hearts. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Away in the manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. There is something about the birth of Christ, as glorious as it was, as shocking to awesome should I say, should it, that it was to the, to the shepherds that saw that glorious sight. And as far-reaching as it was to bring the wise men in or the kings of the east, um, but there's something to be said about how Jesus was born almost in obscurity. When you compare with the population of the world, how many did really know about it at the time? And there's a message in, in this chapter that, that really emphasizes or paints a picture of who the true Christ was, as much as he's an exalted king, and that comes towards the middle of the chapter, but who he was on the inside, who he was in essence. And the Apostle Paul, in order to to bring home the message of who we need to be, like, of what we need to be like, of what our attitudes need to be, he paints this picture of this Christ, God incarnate, Jesus, to show us what we need to be like. Yesterday we finished on, uh, and not just finished, but Brother Edmund expounded from the the meagre beginnings, so to speak, of Christ in the manger and and his um, environment in which he was brought into this world and how he had to become like us in order that we become like him. It is far more than just that he was our example. He was far more than just an example. But in order for us to become like him, he had to die for us. we, We cannot forget that in the Christmas message. That a sword would be plunged to the very heart of Mary, the mother. She was told that. when she brought her son into this world, because something had to happen for God to change the direction of mankind where it was headed. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Now that there, um, if, the word, the way it was used back then was not, was it a question, was it in doubt, if, it really meant in this language back in the 1600s since there be not if it was since there be since there be consolation in christ since there be comfort of love since there be fellowship of the spirit since there any there be bowels and mercies fulfill my joy paul is begging the church in Philippi to fulfill his joy that they be like-minded. And that like-minded really is, is, he's not giving any action at the moment, he's giving them what kind of an attitude they need to have, the attitude of being of one mind, unified, And how could they do that? They were to be one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done. He didn't put pinpoint particular actions. He said, basically saying, in everything that you do, don't do it in strife. If, if, if you look at some of these um, other uh, translations, which I looked at, there is a connotation in strife of... of um, of selfishness because that's what people strive for when they're selfish they they fight over things they want it it's mine and he he really paints a a beautiful picture with this and how Christ dealt with when he was faced with the possible temptation of wanting things power glory And vainglory, empty glory. It's empty. On the outside, it looks like it, 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 it glistens and, and glitters and, and it's something to be had. But when you look at it, it's empty. It's vain when people strive for things that are empty and futile, that have no long lasting or eternal. Uh, consequences let nothing be done through selfishness through striving through empty ambition but in loneliness of mind let each esteem the other better than themselves now that's that is a very hard task to fulfill isn't it Can we really say in everything that we do that I esteem my brother more than myself? Or my neighbor, doesn't have to be my brother. brother, People at church know that I have to behave in such a way. What about my neighbor, my co-worker? How do we esteem them? Do we give them the pick of the crop? Do we give them the best? Or do we say, I deserve this for myself? Let everyone esteem, means to value, means to put up at a level above themselves. And look not every man on his own things, don't be selfish. But every man also on the things of others. Now what it means is here is don't be a doesn't mean to be a nosy parker, it doesn't mean to look into people's private lives out of curiosity. It means what are their needs? What how can I help them in their need? Don't help yourself first. See how you can help them first. Where is your priorities? And this came out very clear in when some of our forefathers were in prison. I remember the stories, and I believe them. When they had their portion, their ration in prison because they served the Lord, they wouldn't take up a gun, they wouldn't swear an oath in allegiance to their country, they were placed in prison. Some of them sat amongst us not long ago. And when they had portions given to them, their rightful portions, each one got a piece of bread and maybe some, I don't know, some kind of a broth, if that. And if someone saw that someone else was weaker or in need of more food, they would refrain themselves and give their portion to them. Now that's true brotherly love. Even though they said, I'm entitled to this. Everyone gets a fair share. But this is what, in essence, in practice, what this means when we prefer someone above ourselves. And then he says, why should I be like that? He said, look at Jesus. Look at Christ. I've just told you to be like-minded. I've just told you to have the same mind. And why? Because this is the mind that Jesus had. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to have the same attitudes as Jesus. This is what he says. Who being in the form of God... thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now here we have, we, Paul, although perhaps that's not his focus, his focus is not really to give us a, a lesson on the, the dual nature of Christ, that he was 100% man and 100% God. We don't understand that. But he was, he was using this example as, even as Jesus, who being, now that word being, I looked at different um, translations of that. That being is not just a present being. He's speaking of, in some translation, who existed as. He was, he always was. He is now, but he always was. Who always was in the form, the morphe, and that the word used means um, it's not just a, a physical shape, but it's, it's the, the essence or the nature of a thing. And it could be used in the Greek for inside or outside. But we'll see how he distinguishes from the outside afterwards. But here he says that, and in Strong's Concordance, he even uses the word nature. Christ was in the form or the nature of God. We are by, by, by nature humans. That's our nature. We are humans. We're not matter in the sense of wood or mineral. We are humans. We act and behave and think like humans. Jesus, on the other hand, was by nature God. And there are many scriptures that point to that. If you go to, go to the very, and this, this is what really certain denominations have uh, really corrupted, I believe, because of their translations, or try to corrupt. They can't corrupt the word of God. But in, in um, the, the Gospel of John it says that Jesus, he was given the name Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. If you have any doubt that that's Jesus, look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Unequivocally, Jesus was the word. He was with God. And the word says he was God. Go to chapter 5 of John, the same John. This is, this is one thing that John differed from all the other disciples and the, all the other writers of the Gospels. He really focused on the fact that Jesus Christ was God. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 18. Let's go back up to verse uh, 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. He's he's confronting the Jews because he just healed a man on the Sabbath day at the pool of Bethesda. He said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Keep going to John chapter 14, when he tells Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Philip was asking, show us the Father. And he says, Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And then the, the... The marvelous scene. After he was resurrected. And Thomas was not there the first time when he appeared to the disciples. He said, I won't believe that he's risen until I can feel his wounds in his hands and his side. And Thomas was given that opportunity. Jesus once again appeared through closed doors and says, "Thomas, come hither, feel, feel my hands. Put your hand in my side." And Thomas said, "My Lord and my God." He could walk through walls. He could eat fish, but he was resurrected from the dead, and he told. Was it Mary? Don't touch me, for I'm not yet ascended unto my Father. He was of a different nature. and If you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul goes to great lengths to explain the differences in flesh, differences in bodies of, of animals and creatures and angels and stars and differences of glories. We don't understand all of these things, but we've seen and have witnesses of who Christ was. And Christ did not deny. He did not deny to Thomas or did not even uh, try to excuse himself to the Jews when they said he was equal to God. Who being in the form of this This nature of God, thought it not robbery, thought it not something to be grasped at or clutched at, it doesn't only speak of the first time when you see something, you snatch it and you want to keep it for yourself. It speaks of continuing to cling on to the fact that he was God. If you go to the uh, book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, there was someone that really wanted it so badly. His name was Lucifer. In another chapter, he was called the covering cherub. Verse 12 of chapter 14 of Isaiah. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The angels of God, maybe, is that what he meant? I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There was someone that really craved and lusted to be like God or better and above God. It was the devil. And God says, no, you won't. No, you won't. You shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? The same Lucifer, this was speaking in in, in a prophetic sense, the same Lucifer came to Jesus on the after his baptism in the river Jordan. And he tried to derail the Christ by getting him to sin, by getting him not to trust his father. If you be the son of God, make these stones bread. I dare you. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live. By bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Wasn't that said in the wilderness? When they wandered for 40 years, complaining and murmuring. And he said, I made them walk into the wilderness. I think it was Deuteronomy chapter 8. He gave them shoes that never wore out. And he said, I did this to you to humble you and to make you understand that man doesn't live by bread alone. But he's dependent on every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then then Satan goes to to the uh, pinnacle of the temple and he wants him to jump. If you believe in the word of God, this is what the word of God says. Jump off and he'll catch you, the Bible says. The word of God says. But the word of God also says, don't tempt the Lord thy God. And finally he said, he finally, he blew his cover. He revealed what he really wanted. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. All the kingdoms in which he was reigning over, and he had evidence to prove it. I'll give you these if you just bow down and worship me. And just very calmly, I believe, Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. See, Jesus didn't grasp or clutch onto the fact that he was God, the third or the second person of the Trinity, the triune God. He had, at one stage, everything in in the courts of glory, and we're going to come to that, but his main purpose On this earth was not to show off who he was. As a matter of fact, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He didn't come to flaunt his riches, he didn't come to to impress people, to show how glorious he was. As a matter of fact, he, he came in a veiled glory. He left everything behind. He came not to be served, but to serve. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that though he was rich, he became poor for us. Isn't there something heartwarming when we see Someone with so much power and so much glory and majesty and awesomeness that he would say something like that. That he would stoop down to our level. That he would put aside all that glory that he had once with the Father. And said, I came for one purpose. He made himself of no reputation. Perhaps some of us want to leave our mark in this world by having some reputation. Something that someone in this world or many in this world would say, I remember that brother or that sister. He did all these things. He had had this reputation. Unfortunately many leave a very poor reputation. But that should not be in the foreground of our mind. The foreground of our mind should not be there. I want to leave this reputation. The foreground of our mind was what Jesus had in his mind, if we're going to be like him. He came to serve. He came and divested himself of all his glory, and he took upon himself no reputation, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Here we have it again, the same thing. He took upon himself the nature of a servant. He took upon himself the nature of human flesh. He was made like unto his brethren. We don't understand that. We don't understand that he was 100% man and 100% God. Someone once made a comment and say, could it really be like in the children's song, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little poor Jesus, no crying he makes. I think he cries. Jesus cried. If he could cry as a man, why couldn't he cry as a baby? He was not of the nature that we would try to put upon him that he wasn't subject to our emotions, to our pains, to our suffering. Of course he cried. And he wept when he saw Lazarus at the tomb. He wept over Jerusalem when they continued to reject The saviour, the one that came to die for them. No reputation. The same term morphe, he came as a nature, in the nature of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He had two arms, two legs, two eyes, a mouth. He had whatever a man had. He had the same senses, everything that we have. The only difference between him and us is that he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. And as man would like to portray him as doing so, with these perverse movies and books and theories and how could he do that, they're just as perverse as the father of lies that gave them that thought. Because when man can't attain that, 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 that form of godliness, that, that state of holiness and righteousness, he tries to pull God down with him. Because I miss one big, big element, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. Now that word fashion is a bit different, it's schema. And that fashion, that word schema is always the external. He looked like a man, he came as a man, he could bleed, he could cry, he could sense pain He could get dirty. When he was whipped and his flesh was torn open, he bled. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, he bled. When they pierced his hands, he bled. When they overburdened him with the cross, after beating him and scourging him, he fell under the cross. And through all of this, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. There's the the real picture that Paul the Apostle wanted to give to the Philippian church and what he wants to give us today. When Jesus left the courts of glory, what was it that he left behind? What was it that he was rich and became poor for us? What was it that was different? He left his glory behind. As mentioned earlier, he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17 to now, after this was all done, to give back the glory that he had once with him in the courts of glory. The glory. Everything that uttered the worth of God, everything that that manifested and displayed the power and the awesomeness and the brilliance and the holiness of God, Christ said, Give it back to me. That's understanding after he went to the garden and to the cross. He didn't change in terms of being God. He didn't leave his deity behind. Although he limited himself in what he would do, he also gave away his authority to God. Everything that he said and did on the earth, he said, I do it because the Father has told me. He could have called 12,000 angels, or 10,000 angels as a song goes, or the 12 legions of angels, he could have called them to extricate him from that terrible situation he didn't do that he could with the breath of his mouth just, just, just blown away as, as the, 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 uh, the witnesses in, the, new, in the, the book of Revelation caused fire to come out of their mouth to smite the enemy he didn't do that as a matter of fact it says as a sheep before his shearer is dumb So he opened not his mouth. But he left his glory. He left his authority. He submitted himself to the word of God and to the command of God. And he humbled himself. He was completely at the mercy of God to the point... If you notice... Throughout the scriptures, he called God my father. My father. My father said, My father has told me, I do what the father has told me to do. But on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God was now a judge. God had to turn his back from his own son. I was watching a… There was some speaker at at a university when somebody asked him, because he was a Christian apologist, said, would you… Tell me, he wanted to put him on the spot, just like the Jews try to do with Jesus. Would you, because I was talking about uh, Abraham and Isaac, so tell me, if God told you to kill your son, would you do it? So this person, he, he, had to be, he was trying to be very careful that he didn't come across like a murderer or a, one that didn't have... Moral values. Then he brought up the situation of Abraham and Isaac, and how God stopped him at that point. And he said, "God will provide a lamb." And he did. And that happened like 2,000 years later that God provided a lamb. And this time he never stayed his hand. And a father did have his son crucified on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. But Christ subjected himself, not only to his father, but to the cruel death of the cross. Think about what happened here. You know, some people say that the reason the Romans had to crucify Christ was because the Jews couldn't do it. They were not allowed to take anyone's life. So they got the Romans to do that work for them. And I question, well, is that, is that true? What happened to Stephen? Not a few years later, the deacon Stephen was taken by a mob of Jews, put on trial. And then they stoned him to death without any question to the Romans. And he crying out, looked, had the face of an angel, the scripture says. And said, Lord Jesus, hold not this to their charge. Much like Jesus. We have been studying Spiritual warfare on Wednesday nights here in the church. Beloved, my friends outside of Christ, do not think for one minute that these are isolated cases, that this just happened to be, that Stephen happened to be stoned and Jesus happened to be crucified because that was... The cross, even to the Romans, if you read some of the writings of the historians, was, was an abomination. It was a curse. And if you read in Deuteronomy 21, I think it's 23... It says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. What the devil wanted to do, I believe, he wanted to make sure that this very person who claimed to be God was hanging on a tree and therefore he'd be cursed and even God had cursed him. That was humiliating. That was so humbling that he subjected himself. I laid down my life of myself and I have power to take it up again, Jesus said. He willingly went to the cross, knowing he'd be rejected of his father, knowing he'd be subjected to this this humiliating death on the cross. My dear ones, brothers and sisters and friends alike, if Christ could do that, if he could subject himself in obedience to the Father under all the extreme humiliating circumstances, is he asking much from us? to subject ourselves to the Father? What is humility? What is humility? It's not like the Colossian church when Paul calls it a voluntary humility. Some fake humility. Some, some fake piousness where before man I can be really put on a good show but But internally, I'm really wanting to be bigger than my brother or greater than my sister. Humility, the word comes from the word humus, earth, dirt. But what in essence it means is Are we fully, completely dependent on God? Or do we have our sufficiency in something else? Do we think we can do it on our own? Do we think we have enough to fulfill ourselves? when we can say, I am totally dependent on God, we've come to the bottom of the barrel. And my dear ones, it's it's become very apparent to us, isn't it? When we have around us people that are in great duress, in sickness, in illness, in disease. And there seems to be nothing to turn to. Even medicine perhaps may not have the answers. And you feel so helpless. All you can do is turn to God. All you can do is turn to God. When you have a sick baby or a sick sibling and you see their pain and you see their suffering and they turn to you to pray for them and you can't offer them what Jesus offered The the doctors can't do it. The specialists can't do it. They pass you on. They say, there's not much I can do for you. It's then when we realise that our all in all, everything that we could ever hope for, every power, every uh, provision, every encouragement, every comfort, lies in the bosom of the Almighty. Some believe that verses 6 to 11 of this chapter was an old early church hymn that would be sung amongst the people. I can't prove or disprove that. There's some kind of evidence to say it was, it was not, but it certainly is a A beautiful hymn, isn't it? That's what the early church used to sing. They'd get a verse and repeat it over and over. That's how they used to encourage one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It was scripture. They didn't make up their own words. But this hymn, if it was a hymn, comes where it comes from a very high plateau, from the courts of glory, from heaven. It comes down to to the depravity in the corruptness of men and how Christ humbled himself and condescended himself to, to men of low estate. And then he comes back up at the very end. He says, wherefore, because God, because Christ has uh, came in the fashion of a man, even though he was God, because he divested himself of all, the earthly, of all the heavenly glory and because he suffered death for every man, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. And given him a name, which is above every, every name. Didn't the Apostle Peter learn that when he said, Humble yourself therefore unto the mighty, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. My dear friend, my dear brother and sister, that's what this life is all about. We go through peaks and valleys. We have extreme uh, times of joy and, and happiness And then we go through our trials and difficulties and it seems like we're in the valley and who's going to pick us up? And in those times of quietness, when we can in some way identify with what Jesus went through, in some way realise that the only way through this valley is to completely surrender myself To the will and the authority and the grace and the power of God. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, of things on the earth and things under the earth. Yes, even under the earth. of those that have gone before, of those that are waiting in sleep, of those that Jesus, it says, went to preach to the spirits that were in prison, that were there since the days of Noah. My dear friend, outside of Christ, you may not want to bend your knee to Jesus today. You may not want, because you feel that you have sufficiency in yourself. There's more... There's more to this life than just coming to church. Of course there is. Of course there's more to this life. If that's your vision of Christianity, you've got the wrong picture. This life is not about coming to church. This life is about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. This life is about giving your everything for the sake of the gospel. To lift up that name, that worthy name of Jesus. That's what this life is all about. And you're not saved to be, to be taken away from your problems and your difficulties and your trials and your persecutions and your boredom. It's there to glorify the king of the universe, the God of the creation, the savior of the world. That's what he's called us here for to do. And if we don't do it now, even those that are under the earth will one day bow the knee to Jesus. They will bow the knee to Jesus. Their knees will buckle in fear and guilt and remorse. They will bow. Which side? of the grave you want that to happen on. May the Lord bless the words that have been spoken.
2: My last Please offer
3: a prayer. Lord God, we have come today on this very special day, a day of remembrance of what you have done for us. Lord, you sent thy only begotten Son in the form of man, and if that wasn't enough, that you would make yourself into into like man, Lord, you ended up being the perfect sacrifice as well. Lord we pray that not just today, but that every day we would live our lives being reminded of what you have done, how you have come to this earth, how you have died for our sins, and what example you left for us. The example wasn't there to, to try to reference so that we may be able write about it or talk about it, but rather that we would live it, that we would live a Christ-like life. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for bringing us all here today to be reminded of this simple message, a message of love, God's love for mankind. Lord, we pray that as we spend time with others today, that You would be with us, be in our conversation, be with us as we travel. And be with us throughout this week until we meet again. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Brother Father, concluding him, please.
1: In number 324. In God's upside-down kingdom, the way up is down. The way up is down. Jesus showed us the way when he came down, and he humbled himself. He left the throne. He was obedient. He submitted his will to a loving father and was raised above all kings and powers and principalities. He reigns over all. They, now you and I have a choice. Will we leave the throne of our own hearts? Will we relinquish the reins of our control? Will we also humble ourselves? Will we also serve one another and esteem one another higher than ourselves, will we also find ourselves in the form in the nature of a servant so that we can be raised up with him we will never have to say my God why has thou forsaken me we can say Abba Father We can have that intimacy and that assurance and be raised up with him in heavenly places. So thankful for this special time of year, we can be reminded of a God who came down so that he could bring us up with us. We have a far less distance to go down and yet it seems so much harder for us. Let's take this Christmas season to humble ourselves with him so we can be raised with him. This time we want to conclude our regular service and we'll invite everyone to sing around the piano as is our, our uh, Christmas tradition.